This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Tonight to the book of Acts, chapter 17. I just want to read uh, two verses here. Acts 17, reading verse uh, 30 and 31. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. By far the most recurring theme in the whole New Testament is the second coming of Christ. It is mentioned once every 25 verses on average. In Paul's epistles, he alone speaks of it 50 times. There are 50 clear warnings to believers about Christ's second coming. In fact, there's eight times more written about Christ's second coming than there is about his first coming. And not only that, but if you take creation, the fall of man, the death, the resurrection uh, of Christ, all of that together is not enough in comparison to the scriptures about Christ's second coming. However, I shall resist the temptation to deal with that subject tonight because it's a big subject and to do it justice, then you'll have to spend several messages on that. However, there is no question at all that Christ is returning to this earth again bodily. Hallelujah. There are various cults and false religions uh, who believe that Jesus is not even presently bodily, uh, that he's spiritually speaking, they talk about, metaphorically speaking, uh, but the Bible knows nothing about that. He is coming back again to this earth physically, materially, bodily. Hallelujah. He himself said so in John 14, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Paul said so in 1 Thessalonians 4. He talked about him coming with the trump of God. Peter says so in 1 Peter 1, 7. James says so in James 5 and 8. The very angels said he would return. You men of Galilee, why are you standing there gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus will return. He will come back again. As you've seen him go, he will come back again. And of course he was speaking physically. Jesus himself, and almost one of the last things he, is, he said is, surely I come quickly, Revelation 22, 20. And so when you take all of that into account, and many more scriptures, uh, it is beyond question that Jesus will come back again physically to this earth. The early church made what we call this doctrine, they made it a very practical part of their Christian lives. And believers then and now who, who have gone or are going through great difficulties for the gospel's sake, 
uh, maybe deprivation and suffering and persecution, they think more about Christ's return than perhaps we do. We in the comfortable, prosperous West, where nobody's doing much against us physically, at least at this point, uh, perhaps we don't think too much about his second coming. But if we were in a position that some believers are today in some other parts of the world where their very lives are on the line daily because they're followers of Christ, then you can see how Christ's return would be something that they would long for. So leaving aside the detail of Christ's second coming, I want us to focus tonight on one aspect of his coming. There's several, but just one aspect of his coming. And that is about coming to judge the world. We read there in Acts 17. He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Now, lots of Christians have trouble when it comes to the judgment of God. And they have even greater trouble when it comes to explaining that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be the judge of all. Because in Christians' minds sometimes, and it increasingly happens, that they think the God of the Old Testament is so very different than Jesus of Nazareth. That the God of Old Testament, you know, he was strong and, and, and dealing out justice and, and, and judging but Jesus, he's gentle, he's meek, he's mild, he's compassionate, he's loving. But actually, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And you need to understand that Jesus is the one that will be the judge of all, and we'll come to that a little bit later. And so this business of, well, I don't really like the God of the Old Testament, but I, I like Jesus, is totally erroneous. It has no place in Christian thinking, by the way. So we need to dismiss that completely. But it's difficult for some people to think of Jesus as a judge. But remember, he came as a lamb to be slain for us. But when he comes back, it'll not be as a lamb, it will be as a lion, a lion of the tribe of Judah. And he came to be our savior, the savior of the world. But when he comes back, he's coming back as a judge of the world, not as the savior of the world. And so we need to understand that. And Scripture declares him to be so in Revelation chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 8. Uh, J.I. Packer said this. God would not be God if he didn't have the capacity of wrath. Why? I was reading the other day about a young, handsome, dapper fellow a medical doctor who always wore a crisp and well-tailored clothing. He handled himself with polish and smoothness. He always bore the fragrance of an expensive cologne. But this, his very demeanor made him all the more fiendish. For this man was Joseph Mengele, the angel of death at Aswich. And with a flick of his well-washed and perfumed hand, he personally selected 400,000 prisoners to die in the gas chamber. He conducted horrible experiments on people, hoping to produce a superior race. One observer said he would spend hours bent over his microscope while they are outside stank with the heavy odor of burning flesh from the chimney stacks of the crematoria. 
He had a special fascination for children who were twins. He would give them horrible injections and operate in their spine to paralyze them, then begin removing parts of their body one at a time for observation. Now, what would you think of a person, or for that matter, a god, who could see that sort of indescribable evil without feeling anger? If God could watch the hurt and evil in this universe with no feelings of indignation and fury, he would be defective in his character. He would not be God at all. So I submit that rather than apologizing for the doctor of the wrath of God or ignoring it, we should appreciate it as vital and a wonderful part of God's divine character. Packer further says, there are few things stressed more strongly in the Bible than the reality of God's work as a judge. The entire New Testament is overshadowed by the certainty of a coming day of universal judgment. And the problem thence arising, how may we as sinners get right with God while there is yet still time. A.T. Pearson, a great old preacher of old, he says, his wrath is not an impetuous, unchangeable passion, but an eternal and unchangeable principle. I'll read that again. His wrath is not an impetuous and changeable passion. In other words, God just doesn't wake up, as it were, one day and just feel angry for no reason, as sometimes we do. No, if God is angry, there's a good reason, there's a justification for his anger. And so his wrath is not something that just goes up and down with feelings. His wrath is an eternal and unchangeable principle. God hates sin and he hates the consequences of it, and he hates what it causes to human beings on earth. And so God is a judge, and his son will be the judge. Now, before we explore this uh, any further, let's consider this for a moment. That we live in a fallen, sinful, broken world that's absolutely full of injustice and unfairness and inequality, and it bothers every one of us. People are asking for justice. People look and want justice. A drunk driver kills a mother and her two children. And a grieving, broken-hearted father cannot believe that the judge has simply revoked that man's license and given a fine. He can't understand the logic and the injustice of that. A grieving mother looks into the eyes of the man who murdered her only son and is wondering why he is loose and walking about. And she's serving a life sentence of anguish and pain. Men and women who for years <laughs> paid into their pension fund for their retirement only to discover that the fat cats who ran it absolutely decimated their funds and treasured it and left them with nothing. And not only that, got an OBE for it. It's unbelievable how unjust things can be. A soldier goes off to war. He lays down his life for queen and country. His children is given a pittance and some foul living pop star is taken to the palace 
and given a medal. It's just so unjust, isn't it? It's so unfair. And so you could cite a thousand injustices, wrongs that's never been righted, murders unsolved, crimes that go unpunished, the poor trampled underfoot, and millions upon millions upon millions of little babies killed in the very place that they should have been the safest on earth in their mother's wounds. And no wonder the cry goes up to heaven. God, how long will this go on? Do you not see this? Are you not going to do anything about this? God in the Old Testament often was very quick to dispense judgment. But in the New Testament, in his mercy, in his mercy, he's been long-suffering. He's held back. But there will come a day and there will come an hour when he'll hold back no longer. When enough will be enough. And he'll draw a line in the sand and that will be it. And judgment will come. And so how long must this world go on the way it's going on? Not much longer is the answer. Whenever Abraham was debating with the Lord regarding Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And he shall. And he will do right. And so the question is, when are men going to be judged? Who are going to be judged? Who is going to judge them? How will men be judged? What will they be judged for? That's briefly what we're going to look at tonight. Hebrews 9.27 makes it absolutely clear it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Nothing could be clearer than that. Nothing could be more certain than that. A new young minister came to this church one time and there was a well-known skeptic went to this church and he was rubbing his hands with glee at how he was going to get this young man. And the young man preached on Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. And the skeptic went to him immediately after the service at the door. And he says, I don't believe that, that you're preaching. He says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. He says, well, let's you and me debate this. He says, no, I haven't time for that. The Bible said it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Well, you come to my house tomorrow morning, and you bring your Bible, and I get my Bible out, and I'll give you some verse, and you can give me He says, no, no. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. And he walked off. The next morning, 9 o'clock, the skeptic knocked on the door of the young minister. He says, I couldn't sleep last night. All I could think about over and over and over again was, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. He says, please, tell me more. I need to get saved. I need to get right with God. <laughs> Would that that verse had that effect on everybody that heard it. In Jude 14 and 15, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints 
to execute judgment on all and to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. 2 Peter 2.9 The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations or trials and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. 2 Peter 3.7 but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. There's never going to be another worldwide flood. But one day this world will be engulfed by fire, the Bible says. Peter says it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 7 to 10. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day. It's a good thing that God is a judge. Because if he wasn't, then all of the injustices of this world would never be resolved. And all of the harshness and all of the cruelty and all of the wickedness and all of the unsolved murders and rapes and all the rest of it that nobody's dealing with anymore, that's long since forgotten about except the people who's gone through it. Thank God there's going to be a day when every single act will be accounted for because the God, the judge of all, will do that which is right. Where will the ungodly be judged? Throughout the book of Revelation, particularly from chapter 5 all the way through to chapter 16, there are three series of judgments, seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven bowl or vile judgments. And every time the trumpet blows, a judgment comes forth. Every time a seal is broken, a judgment comes forth. Every time the bowl is poured out, a judgment comes forth. And each judgment gets more severe as you read them. Just the same in the Old Testament in Egypt that each of the plagues in Egypt became more severe until the last one, until the death angel passed over. And it's the same in the book of Revelation. And what a sight that's going to be. And there's going to be a final assize, a place of final judgment. And Revelation 20 describes the events. What a sight it will be. Kings and princes and peasants and paupers and rich and poor and liars and murderers and Christ rejectors and blasphemers and the self-righteous and the hypocrites, all of them will stand before the great white throne of God. And the books will be opened. And the all-seeing, all-knowing eye of God will have everything marked and there will be no place to hide, and there will be no escape from his gaze. In Romans 2.16, in the day when God shall judge the secret of man by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. No wonder Hebrews 10.31, the writer said, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. In Revelation 20, let me just read a little bit of this. 
Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books, because they weren't in the book of life. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so there is no question that the ungodly will be judged. It's scary, isn't it? I mean, it's really, really serious, isn't it? Who will be their judge? John 5, 22. Jesus says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Acts 10, 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that this is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And so scripture makes it crystal clear that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will be the judge of all. Acts 17, 31, there's our text. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. 2 Timothy 4.1 I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And so while we as believers look for his coming and should be glad about that and rejoice that he's coming but to be an unbeliever and to have it suddenly dawn on you that he's coming to judge you. That's a fearful thing. The Bible talks about the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from the other as the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. There's no question that there are some nations that are anti-God, anti-Christ. Communist, atheistic nations who has always tried to stamp out the name of Christ. He has burned the Bibles. Presently, China is making it very tough for Christianity. Very tough. So maybe those are the nations that will be tried, the goat nations. Some commentators feel that it's perhaps the nations who has been particularly anti-Israel. And there's lots of those. 
surrounded by 200 million Arab nations and Muslim nations whose only desire is to drive them into the sea. Tiny little country. And you could count in one hand, sometimes in two or three fingers of one hand, how many nations stand up for Israel. The United Nations is a sham, a complete and utter sham. <laughs> they bring resolution after resolution after resolution against Israel. And the nations that bring the resolutions are the worst human rights offenders in the face of the earth. <laughs> and little Israel, the only democracy in the whole of the Middle East. And they call them apartheid. And yet there's Muslims in the Knesset who hate Israel and who stand up in the very parliament and condemn it. <laughs> Can you imagine a Jew doing that in Saudi Arabia? <laughs> no, I don't think so. And so maybe they'll be the nations that will be the goats rather than the sheep. Blessed are the nation that helped Israel. I know Israel's not perfect. I know they make mistakes. I know sometimes they can be heavy-handed. I know sometimes they get it wrong. But listen, if you're surrounded by nations that want to destroy you, and these so-called peaceful marches, when there's 10,000, 20,000 come and try to break down the fences to murder and slaughter your citizens and you're expected to do nothing. Come on. Not a nation in the world would allow it. And so there'll be a judgment for nations. Satan and all his hosts, thank God, are going to be judged. The author of all sin and rebellion and at one point, as part of his judgment and his punishment, he'll be cast alive into a bottomless pit for a thousand years when Jesus reigns on the earth for a thousand years. Hallelujah. And then he'll be set free for a little while. And he'll try to stir up the nations again to come against God one last time. But that will be his final attempt. And then he's for the lake of fire, where the beast, the false prophet are. And all of the demons of hell will be cast into the lake of fire. That will be their eternal Hallelujah. punishment. All those demonic spirits will be judged. Revelation 20, 1 to 10 will tell you that. 2 Peter 2 and 4, 4 to 9 and Jude 6, that talks about certain fallen angels who are reserved in chains in a place called Tartarus, separate from Hades, who are reserved in chains until eventually they're cast into the lake of fire. See, hell on the lake of fire was never made for men. It was never made for men. It was made for the devil and his angels. But if men constantly forever refuse the mercy of God and hate his son, they'll end up there too. Fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Remember in Matthew 8 and Luke 8, remember how Jesus went to Gadara to release that demonized man And how those 
demonic spirits cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? They know there's a time for their torment. They know that, and it's a fixed time. They just don't know when. But they know the sentence has been passed, and they know it. And the devil knows it. And that's why he goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, because he knows his time is short. And the shorter the time comes, and he can see the signs of it, the worse he gets. The demons begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. They'd even prefer to go into the pigs. And so no wonder they tremble in the presence of Jesus, the judge of all. Will there be a judgment for the believer? Yes. Absolutely. But this judgment has nothing to do whatsoever with your salvation. That's already been dealt with. Jesus took our judgment on the cross. The judgment that was due to us, the punishment that we were to get, he took it for us. And he paid the price for us on that cross. So therefore, there's no condemnation for us. Because we walk not after the flesh, we walk after the spirit. Thank God. Christ has been judged for us. He took our judgment on our punishment. And we have been pardoned. We've been declared not guilty, justified, redeemed, ransomed, set free in Christ. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will reward each according to his works. So yes, we will also stand before a throne, but not the great white throne. We will stand before what's called the Bema. Look at Romans 14. Has anybody got an NIV handy? No? ESV? Oh. <laughs> what have you got there? Uh, Thank you. Good, good. Oh, upside down. Better turn around. Romans 14. Boy, this is, hey, this is for young eyes. Look at the writing here. Give me a magnifying glass. Huh? Romans 14. And verse 11, as it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Thanks, Kate. And so we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, or the bema in the Greek. And the the bema was the raised dais where the Olympiads came as winners to get their laurel wreath. 
But we're going to be standing not to get a laurel wreath that fades, but a crown that's imperishable. But we will be tried and we will be tested. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 1 Corinthians 3, when you read those verses, you will see what will be tested or works since the day we get saved, our good works. And they'll be tested. Our motivations will be tested. Our ministry motivations will be tested. And at the end of it, everything that was wrong, everything that was a wrong motivation, everything that was done wrong will be burnt up as haywood and stubble. And only the precious stones and the gold will remain. And that's what we'll be rewarded for. And we trust and hope that when our life is over, that there will be some rewards for us. But God, through Jesus Christ, will test those. In Revelation, it talks about Jesus having eyes as a flaming fire who will look into our souls and test our motives and our works. And then everything that was of ourselves, everything that was wrong motive will be burnt up and only that which was right will remain and that's what will be given our reward for. In James 1.12 and Revelation 2.20, it talks about the crown of life. That's the martyr's crown. There are more martyrs in this century, this past century, than there's been since the beginning of the church. So martyrdom is very much a part of Christian experience, not here in the West, but certainly in other nations of the world today. Just to be a follower of Christ, just to own the name of Jesus could cost you your very life. You could become a martyr, but there's a crown for the martyrs. 1 Peter 5, 2 and 4, the crown of glory, that's the shepherd's crown for those that have the care of the sheep. The crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. The crown of rejoicing is the soul winner's crown. If you win a soul to Jesus, you're going to get a crown for it. Isn't that good news? <laughs> a lovely crown. Be more than the Queen of England has a crown. When you get to heaven, you'll get a crown. It'll be lovely if you win a soul to Christ. If every, every believer could just win one soul to Jesus. Huh? there wouldn't be enough churches in this country to hold them. <laughs> there really wouldn't. 2 Timothy 4 and 8, the crown of righteousness. For those who love his appearing and live their lives in the light of his appearing, a crown of righteousness. And then the crown of incorruption, the incorruptible crown, 1 Corinthians 9, 25, 27, 1 John 2, 28. For all those believers who have run their race and has been faithful unto the end, that are redeemed, that have been resurrected and made incorruptible forever, there's going to be that incorruptible crown. Jesus said in Revelation 3, 11, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast that which you have, that no one steal your crown. Don't let anybody stumble you from following Christ. Don't let anybody get you to backslide. There's a crown for you. Don't let anybody rob you of that crown. That's what Jesus said. There's a crown for you. Don't be robbed of it. Receive your crown on that day. And then in Revelation 4.10, it talks about the elders casting their crowns 
before Jesus. Any crowns you or I will ever have, the best thing we'll ever do with them is cast them at the feet of the Master. <laughs> For he alone is deserving of all of that glory. Amen? Amen? And so, judgment will come for all of us. But for the believer, it's to see if we're worthy of a reward. And I hope and I trust and I pray that all of us will get a reward from the Master. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.